This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tech Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, December 12th, 2018, and my guest is Carolina Milanese. Hi, Carolina. How are you? I'm very well. Good to be back home after the fantastic week that we had last week with uh, Qualcomm in Maui, where you were as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Do you want to tell my listeners really quickly what you do and where you work? And we can expand on that at the end a bit as well. Absolutely. So I'm an industry analyst. I cover anything consumer. And if you like the consumer within the enterprise, you know, people always talk about enterprises as if it's like one big piece, but then at the end is about the users that are in the enterprise, whatever vertical you're in that I care about. Uh, I've been an industry analyst since 2000. I spent uh, part of my career at Gardner. Yeah. And now I am at Creative Strategies, uh, used to be based in the UK, moved to the Valley in 2012. There you go, folks. So basically, Carolina knows a lot about phones and the industry in particular, which I think is going to be really interesting. We got obviously some phone topics for you, as we always do. But this is a mobile show, so we talk about everything mobile and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, we want to talk about some chips today as well. And I kind of want to get your take on some trends Uh, This all-screen display trend is obviously a big deal, but we're seeing more and more interesting and maybe less interesting form factors around that. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And finally, also, it's the end of the year. And even though I'm going to do a show probably soon, that's going to be very dedicated to best of the year. um, I want to kind of touch on, we're starting to see some best of the year, and I want to touch on some of those uh, choices um, and get your take on that as well. Sounds great. Cool. So let's start with the big news. I think the big news of the week, obviously, is the McLaren OnePlus 6T. So uh, McLaren's teaming uh, teamed up, I guess, with OnePlus. So OnePlus teamed up with McLaren. McLaren is the, the company that makes uh, super high-performance sports cars, but they're really best known for being uh, a Formula One juggernaut for many, many years. So there's definitely a car company. They're known for speed, speed, speed. And I think that's kind of an interesting partnership, don't you? I do. I, you know, cars and phones seems to go together very well and very often, uh, but sometimes is just lapping a name on uh, on a phone. What I was impressed, especially looking at your uh, unboxing that was very well done as usual, was to see the level of detail that OnePlus went through in bringing to market this this product, not just from a design and, and the finesse of the you know, the orange color, which is the McLaren color going everywhere, including the inside of a USB. Right. Um, but just, you know, the, the the little things about including a book that talks about the history of, of McLaren as a, as a car company. Um, and, uh, you know, when you fire it up and, and looking at the, what looks like a, <clears throat> a, a tire mark, yeah. As a wall, you know, as a as a background on on the screen, it's just there's a lot there that doesn't speak to a name that a lot of people put together. With, yes, technology enhancements and you know being cutting edge, but also with conservative price point, right? This, there's a lot of elegance in this phone that really surprised me. 
I, you're right. There's a lot of finesse. So um, I want to before I before I go into that, I want to just also say quick a quick apology to everyone, a public apology because I was a little early with my video upload um, uh, by about an hour or so because I misread some stuff. Uh, no big deal. No, but nobody's feelings were hurt too badly. But uh, I do <laughs> want to apologize to everyone for that. It's very very unlikely to, for me to do that. So that's probably why you wondered uh, why the video was up early. Uh, but but the reality is to me when I when I got this phone you know my mindset was um, Lamborghini phone a Porsche right. design uh, Huawei phone um, Ferrari phone like all these other phones that have been done in partnerships with other companies and particularly Huawei you know their their Mate 20 RS I, I got a chance to use it for an entire day while in London at the launch they, they lent us one for the day and took us to uh, Silverstone to to uh, drive around in some Porsches, which is wonderful. I'm a car person. I, I own a, an older Porsche, so obviously it was a big deal for me. And and you know that phone, it's hard to put in, like it's hard to explain until you touch it and use it for a day, how it can justify its price. Like a lot of people were to me, like seriously, two thousand euros, almost two thousand euros for basically just the Mate Twenty Pro on steroids, and it's just you know. Like the specs are higher, but you know how can you justify that price? And I'm like, you have to feel it, you have to touch it. The the leather, the, the build quality is is a whole notch better than even the Mate 20 Pro. But what I found really interesting, so I went into it with that expectation. But I, what I found really interesting about the McLaren phone, uh, the OnePlus 6T that they made, was that. It's really essentially a OnePlus 6T. Mm-hmm. Like there is some accents, as you said, colors and, and you know, fake carbon fiber behind the rear glass and like, you know, all that stuff. But it is still um, essentially a, a not too pretentious OnePlus 6T. And that, I thought, I thought that was refreshing because, you know, the packaging was obviously phenomenal and, and that's, you know, what I wanted to capture with my unboxing. Uh, and and the history and you know there's also an AR app inside the phone once you start fire it up. I didn't get as far as setting up the phone, but if you do, there's a the first thing you introduce with is a little app you can you're you're invited to run that you can use to get some AR content overlaying that book that's in the, uh, nice. in the box. Yeah, very cool. So so like it's just all this little stuff, right? And then at the time I unboxed it, we hadn't been given the price. So I was still thinking this was like a thousand fifteen hundred dollar phone, thinking along the lines of like doubling the price, you know? Right. And and then we find out six ninety nine, and I'm like, okay, so this makes actually more sense because this phone is. Doesn't you know? It hasn't been built at a higher tolerance than the the regular one. It just has obviously better specs, and it has some really customized, beautiful McLaren touches, and the packaging is really incredible. But I was like, at six ninety nine, actually, all of what I just said is incredible. Because I, I agree, I, I think that the um, the the idea of putting leveraging the brand and the love and the passion that people have for cars and for brands like McLaren, but staying true to what your products mean, I think is a win win, right? Because you're you're not making people that have a a regular uh, model feel they're settling. And, right. and I think sometimes that's the the you know the the price you pay for doubling the price and putting way more on something just because you want to raise your your um, brand to more of a premium status. 
Yeah, and I think that's really smart because, you know, McLaren in the car industry is really known for being very practical as a brand. Even though it's super high-end, a lot of the cost is really because of the design and engineering choices they make, not because they're trying to be fancy for the sake of being fancy. Kauf Pagani, for example. I mean, (laughs) wonderful car. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're masterpieces of art, but as well as masterpieces of engineering. But I think McLaren is kind of more like, is in, in some ways very German and very British at the same time in their car design. Because they're, they're just really saying like, this is, we made this for the sake of making this, not because we wanted to be flashy, right? Right. And I think you feel that in the OnePlus 6T McLaren edition. And I think that the other thing that also is interesting is because I went into it, you know, first of all, you have to know that until I use the, the Mate 20 RS, my opinion of these car branded phone was like gimmick, right? I was like, seriously, yes. who wants to spend that kind of money? But it really swayed me to use that Mate 20 RS. I was like, if I had that kind of disposable income and didn't get all the phones to play with for free, I would absolutely look at buying a Mate 20 RS because it is such an exclusive experience. And it's not just about the specs that are better. It's about the again the better craftsmanship, better materials, and a just you know special experience. And I think that my, somehow this OnePlus McLaren partnership is is kind of like captured what OnePlus does so well, which is give us a premium phone at a very reasonable price and brought that into the realm of the you know the car branded phone world, right? And and you know ten gigs of RAM. And in a, a faster charging system that includes a, a, a separate brick, separate cable, and separate chip inside the, the phone to charge faster. It's the, it's the whole system. You know, it doesn't seem like much, but it's only $70 or whatever it is more than the highest spec uh, OnePlus 6T that you can normally buy. For that kind of money... If, even if it didn't have McLaren branding, that would be incredible. But I also think that even that is smart because if you think about what you were saying about McLaren in general, you know, cars, there's two things that people like, you know, how fast they go and, you know, the horsepower and the two things are linked. And that's what they gave you in the phone, which, you know, if you think about it, it is actually pretty smart and stay true to that idea of Absolutely. the car and, and pairing the two. So really good thought out idea of taking advantage of this collaboration. Yeah. And and honestly, I feel like you're getting so much in the packaging. I mean, it seems silly to say that, but this, like you get an entire history lesson on Bruce McLaren's company, <laughs> where he came from, where he went to, what he does. If you're into cars, look, all I'm going to say is this, if you're into cars and you want to buy a really nice flag, uh, flagship type smartphone today, and you're considering spending, you know, eight nine thousand dollars on a Samsung or iPhone or even a even a, even a Mate Twenty Pro imported. Like maybe look at this because you're getting a really great phone with incredible specs for six ninety nine, and then you're getting like this this you know they're limited edition too. There's I don't know how many they didn't say, but they're not like going to be super mainstream. So if you can get one, get one because. You'll stand out. Yeah, it's you'll stand out in a discreet way, which is what I love. Yeah, and at the same time, you you know, again, this packaging is kind of like it's kind of a time it's a, a time capsule in many ways, and it's really well done. And I was really, you know, I can't, went into it kind of thinking, oh, you know, because I, I was thinking along the lines of these other phones that are much more expensive, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a OnePlus sixty with minor changes, uh, you know, but I didn't know the price, and then I, but I did feel the packaging was really special. And then the price dropped and I was like, okay, well done. Like this, and, and it's interesting because it doesn't, 
somehow I was worried that if the price was going to be lower uh, than the other phones that are premium car branded, that it would kind of dilute the McLaren-ness of things, right? Right. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It's that's no. the thing. Is once in the end, once you're done with the whole thing, you've unpackaged it, un unboxed it, you've used it for a day or two, you're like. No, this is this is I totally understand this 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 pairing. It makes perfect sense. I agree. And and it's always difficult, I think, for companies to understand where the relationship with the brand being cars or even from the fashion industry will take them. I, I always remember as a as more of a negative story that tells you how many years I've been following this market, when LG came out with a Prada phone in, oh, yeah, uh, in I Europe. Remember that. And that didn't work for them at all because the price wasn't right because it was too low. And, yep. and people could not put together the idea of having Prada at a low end uh, price point. That's not, you know, I always joke and say, you know, if you buy a Prada bag, part of the pleasure is the pain that you go through by <laughs> buying the thing because it's so expensive, right? Yeah, there, yeah. There is a certain pride that goes with being able to show how much you paid for a Prada uh, bag or accessory. And, and that wasn't there with the phone and that did absolutely nothing for them. Yeah, yeah. No, I think they nailed it. And, uh, you know, we now have a phone that you can buy in the US with... 10, I think it's available in the US and says US pricing for 10 with 10 gigs of RAM. This is the first phone in the US with 10 gigs of RAM. It's the second phone that I'm aware of with 10 gigs of RAM. Third, maybe Mi Mix 3 is one that was announced before that. And then they just announced the uh, the Nex, um, the Vivo Nex dual screen. Dual screen. Which mm -hmm. we're going to talk about later. But that that also has 10 gigs apparently as, as one, one of the SKUs. Um, and, and let's talk about that for a second. 10 gigs on a phone. Like, I have an iMac in front of me that I bought a year ago that's a pretty high-end one. It's a 5K 27-inch with an SSD, and I've got 8 gigs of RAM in that thing, I think. Maybe maybe 16, but I really doubt I went that high. I'll let you know in a second. Yeah, 8 gigs of RAM. And the thing is perfect. It's great. I use it for all kinds of things, video editing. I've never run out of steam. It kind of blows my mind that phones are getting now to a point where, okay, 10 gigs is not the norm, but... No. Six Not gigs yet. is getting common. Four gigs is kind of frowned upon. Hello, Pixel 3, Pixel 3 XL. I, my, my daily driver is a Pixel 3 XL, and honestly, I think it needs more RAM. I mean, it's not life crippling in any way, but at that price point, I would have expected six. Uh, and then eight gigs is honestly pretty damn common now on a phone uh, at the high end. So 10 gigs, I mean, wow. Like, I think a lot of it is for caching apps so that you don't have to reload them. And it feel, makes the phone feel even snappier. So it's not really about like running multiple apps. Of course, it helps with that. But I think a lot of it is just caching stuff. Do you, what is your, what's your take on that? Yeah, what I, I think it's also kind of future-proving for the, the, you know, the, the next wave of apps that are going to be coming. We're still waiting for the big wave of AR yeah, yeah, um, apps, yeah. right? And so I think Games that too. Games are getting massive. Correct. As a, you know, as somebody who worked in video games, I look at games on phones today and I'm like, they are faster, better, stronger than what I used to develop even le less than 10 years ago uh, on consoles. And no, yeah. you, need some, you need some serious horsepower for that. Um, so, wow, yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? 
It, it is, but that's what consumers want, right? And and there's never going to be enough megapixels, enough screen, and enough <laughs> power, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about the enough screen, actually, in a second. I, I just think that, honestly, for me, I think, um, you know, I, I because I can obviously understand the computer, the most important computer in your life is your phone. It's the one in your yes. pocket. And for entire parts of the market in developing countries in particular, um, and even in India, which has sells, you know, high end phones, including the OnePlus 6T is very popular there. Um, this for a lot of people, that's their only phone. Um, I know some friends in India who are, you know, uh, basically using their, their LTE as their main internet in the house, in the house, in the home. Uh, this is very common there because it's yeah. so cheap, and they basically tether their phone to their TV, to their smart TV, to watch Netflix. You know, yeah. Uh, and I, so, I do so- wonder also as well, though, Miriam, if some of it is, um, it, you know, we we're talking about five G rolling now and faster speed and better downloads and uploads and everything else. And what you don't want is for your phone to become a bottleneck, right? And yeah. a lot of times it's the network that we blame. But now the network, and, and granted, is going to take time for everywhere uh, to be getting 5G speeds all the time. And, you know, but but we're getting there. And so you don't want the phone to be that bottleneck that uh, used to be the network. And so I think that some smart players like OnePlus, they're kind of just getting ready for it. Yeah, there's a big fire hose. It's about to get connected to your phone once 5G gets flipped on. And uh, that fire hose is not going to take no prisoners in terms of the amount of data <laughs> it wants your phone to absorb. So, uh, and your wallet's not going to like it either. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I think it's going to be really expensive. Uh, but yeah, so I think I think this is great. And um, I, I want to actually segue a little bit into uh, an article on Android Police that David Ruddock wrote, my good friend David. Uh, uh, they picked the OnePlus 60 as the phone of the year. And I thought that was really interesting because for me, it's definitely in the top three. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's the first time that any publication has picked a OnePlus as phone of the year. It's always been in the top five every year, but phone of the year potentially for not just Android police in this case, but others might drop that. And and I think a lot of it comes down to not just the phone is good, um, but it's this whole being available on T-Mobile, being compatible with Verizon, and a bunch of other things like that, right? Yeah, and I think that the definitely OnePlus is making it clear that the US is a, a much more important market for them, for them than it's always been. And they are now at a point where I think they have a pretty good idea how to go about and taking advantage of it as well, which is great because... You know, we need more competition in the U.S. market. If, if this was one, this could be a tipping point. Actually, for them, I, for the company, I think it's a tipping point. But for next year, I think we might see OnePlus become the third choice for if they get to the other carriers for the yeah. OnePlus Seven. I think we might see them really potentially getting the third, the third, the third, uh, you know, podium. Yeah, I I wrote a piece when we came back from from London actually after the Huawei event uh, about how you know going back to London after a few years I normally kind of fly via London to go to Mobile World Congress but I never stop and so it's been about three years since I've been there and and what really shocked me um, as a reminder was how diverse the market in Europe it's is. It's so nice, isn't it? 
It, it is. It's not just everybody owning, you know, a, a Samsung or or an iPhone. You see so much more variety with more uh, Chinese brands like Huawei, uh, but also local players like like Alcatel uh, and Wiko. And so it, it's kind of nice. And I and I came back thinking, well, will the US miss out on some of this? you know, new innovation, and, and we're going to talk about, a, you know, a, a little bit about the, the phones, the screens, and the dual screens, and the camera, yeah. with, and all of that, all of, you know, a lot of that is coming from China, and yeah. the US is not going to see many of those products. So it's quite fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, my listeners are kind of early adopter tech savvy folks, and you know, they are the ones who are most likely to import a phone uh, and use it for a few months and then upgrade to something else. Um, it's an expensive hobby, but I can understand yes. <laughs> why. Like, honestly, if you can afford it and you're not working in media or an analyst, uh, you know, it's um, it's interesting. And there's because there's so much innovation. And some of it, I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes saying, Miriam, this is so gimmicky, these phones with these weird form factors. And I'm like, but it's part of mature like maturation of product and market is part of growth it's part of innovation it's how it goes sometimes you make weird things to get to your final destination Absolutely. whatever that might be and that's actually really healthy and the fact that we don't have that choice and variety in the u.s in a more kind of commonplace way like you can still go on amazon buy gray market devices of course but nobody really does that right which is goes back to the OnePlus 6T, the fact that you can now buy one and walk into a T-Mobile store and walk out with a OnePlus 6T that's completely sanctioned by that network. And then even buy a OnePlus 6T like that McLaren edition and bring it to Verizon, put a Verizon SIM in it, and Verizon has blessed it. That is huge. Yeah, that is like is. a massive thing. And, and uh, you know, I think that if they play their cards right and continue being a value leader in the flagship segment and continue building these relationships with the carriers, you know they might they might do what Huawei was posed to, to do last year, right? Yeah, uh, I think it's a very different company, though. Of course, from absolutely. a cultural perspective no, as no. well. In terms of, I I still find that OnePlus is a humble company. You know, absolutely. They, they they do their work, they get it done, they don't overpromise, and they deliver. Um, and and that's you know if you compare it to, for instance, an essential. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a very different <laughs> attitude to market, right? Yeah, but I think essential is, is uh, sorry for the, the pun, but is quintessentially Silicon Valley, right? It's, <laughs> very much it's so. It's so Silicon Valley. Very and, much and, so. And there's some charm to that. I mean, if you look at it, Nextbit, which got acquired by Razer yeah. and is evolved into the Razer phone we know today, the Nextbit Robin is is also very Silicon Valley, but it succeeded. I mean, it shipped. It shipped relatively on time. It shipped relatively with the features that we expected. We all loved that phone, and the company succeeded. They got acquired. Everybody was happy, uh, except for maybe the users on Nextbit who now are buying Razer phones. Right. Mark. I'm not sure <laughs> they are buying Razer phones. But look, the point is that that is also a success story that's very Silicon Valley. So it could yeah. go either way, right? I just want to remind all of us of that. And, you know, but but you're right. I think OnePlus, with, because of their Chinese uh, roots, because they have BBK and, right. you know, backing them in many ways and access to shared technology with Oppo and Vivo yeah. means that they have resources that are extraordinary compared to 
with Silicon Valley startups. And but of course, these resources pale to what Apple, Samsung, and Huawei have. Yes. But but you know, at the same time, I think that they're well po- they're well posed to um to become a very solid third contender next year, at least in the U.S. market. And I hope that opens the doors to maybe a company like Honor, which is we know is all we all know is Huawei, but they yeah. are somehow very stubborn about distinguishing the two brands for whatever reason, because I think Honor has. It doesn't have the stigma of Huawei uh, in the U.S. For you know, even though we all know it's the same thing, um, they could potentially develop that brand into something. But they they're not thinking about it the wrong way. I've been telling them for a while yeah, now that they, I, they, they need yeah. they need to make a pure Android device uh, that's even cheaper than OnePlus. Like that area where they are two three hundred dollars with the things like the Honor Seven last year and the Honor Eight, well Seven X last year and Eight X this year are these are great phones at their price point with great features, and they are sold in the U.S. Yet they are so Chinese, you know, they're so heavily skinned. Like what they really need is kind of more lightweight, pure experience that that OnePlus is offering at that price point. They could potentially, you know, compete with Moto, with the Moto G6, um, which is, I think, today the champion of $250 phones, you know? Yeah, I'm surprised that they don't look... First of all, I think that Huawei is still very confused about what they want to do with Honor. That's um, true. You know, they keep on going back and forth as to what Honor stands for and... and uh, how they want to play, uh, how close or how far away from the Huawei brand they want Honor to be, depending on how the politics are working out for them. But, <laughs> but I think the, 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 the point you're making about competing with, with Motorola is a good one because they have a low-hanging fruit that they're not taking advantage of, which is the new initiative with the Android One that... Yeah you know, is a bit more kind of higher spec that the original idea of one was, which was more, you know, targeted emerging markets here. They're really targeting now mature markets like the U.S. Yeah. for those users who don't want to get a flagship for a thousand dollars. Totally, and Android Go is now what Android One was promised to be, right? Correct. And it's completely failing. <laughs> but okay, yes, that's another story. Yes. But so they, they they would have that opportunity if they decided, okay, so this is honor, this is about volume, it's about making a go at a presence in the US. It's not about ecosystem, it's not about our UI, it's not about our AI. Let's just get in the market. And and I yeah. think that would be the way to do it. I agree. I mean, I've been telling the folks at Honor and Huawei for a while now. And every time I bring up honor to Huawei people, they they look at me and go like, we we don't we don't do that. And yes, I'm like, it's not no, ours. <laughs> no, no, you are doing that, and you are going to listen to me because if you don't relay that to whoever is doing honor, you're being idiots. And then they shut up and they listen. And I'm like, that's all I'm saying. Just just relay that on. Think about it, because really, what they think they should do is Android One. And I know this is heresy, you know. And I know there are some good and positives to what I'm about to say. But I think they should make a Qualcomm-based phone. That would appease. If imagine this, Android One, pretty much Google, you know, yeah. pure Google. Uh, Qualcomm US IP. Yeah. If they made a phone in China, but had Qualcomm and Android One and sold in the US, competed with Lenovo, 
uh, I should say Moto, Motorola, which is yeah. owned by Lenovo, uh, and and maybe compete even with OnePlus. They w- they have the they have the might to do that. The price. But see, wise. what is fascinating is that they seem to understand that for the PC business. So exactly, they understood exactly. that coming to the US with a Windows machine and and, and an Intel processor. Absolutely correct. So why not do the same for the phone? And and it, it ju- they just don't connect the two at all. And I know that a lot of people are going to say, and and I'm a bit of a proponent. Like I'm I'm going to be a kind of devil's advocate advocate towards my own argument here but but i do have to appreciate that with the may 20 series um which i love which is probably my number one phone of 2018 to be honest may 20 pro um very close to the one plus 60 and and then it falls down from there but um as an aside i think that there is something to be said about Huawei's mightiness in integration, this vertical integration that they're achieving with their current processors and their own battery tech, their own cooling tech, their own camera tech, and they're putting it all together in this absolutely phenomenal flagship device. That's Apple great stuff. That's something that we only see Apple and Samsung capable of. And I think it, it, and Samsung is even dropping the ball there because the Exynos can't keep up with uh, Snapdragon, right? So they're going Snapdragon all the way. And so I feel like I feel like we have this this thing that they have an advantage Huawei because they have highly integrated software hardware. But at the same time, for this market, they have this great brand honor, and I think that they could leverage that brand by not vertically integrating and using Qualcomm and Android One and be really successful because they have supply and they have supply chain and all that really optimized. And they could make a really great product that you know kind of goes against their highly vertically integrated principles, but really still works. But yeah, and I don't disagree with you that their vertical approach is definitely a, a differentiator and, and not something that anybody apart from Samsung and, and Apple can do, right? Uh, and so just that puts them in a in a very good position. But I I had I add to that that unfortunately I think I still see a lot of that kind of Chinese mentality yeah, where absolutely. there's it's a lot politics. of smoke and mirrors, mm-hmm. right? Where just talk about the stuff you're doing and that is enough. You don't have to layer a, a lot of, you know, fluff on top that then somebody's going to go and fit, you know, and try it and it doesn't work. Just keep it simple and keep I it agree. real and yeah. talk and about what, what you deliver. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Correct. Exactly. And they've got the right messaging and approach to that. So, you know, and I think Honor has the might that they could come in and, and somewhat, in some ways, undercut OnePlus and not, not necessarily at the same value flagship price point, but maybe even at the, the lower, like $250, $300 price point. They could, com- they could easily compete with po- the Poco phone and they have the Honor Play already, which is a uh, Kirin 970 based and it's a $300 phone. Um, so I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Think, and so, yeah. so my, you know, in the Poco phone, I, I have one finally, and I'll put a link to my unboxing. It's incredible what you're getting for three hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm using a, a basically a flagship phone, even though it's plastic. Like the whole thing is plastic. That's about the only time that I feel like I'm making a compromise. The camera is turning out to be great on that phone, which I did not expect at all at that price point because the Honor Play doesn't have a really good camera. It's okay, but it's not great. Uh, the display is awesome. The battery life is decent, and you have a Snapdragon 845 and 6 gigs of RAM in that phone for $350. Wow. So this is, you know, this is what I think is interesting. Xiaomi is obviously 
kind of getting it in a way. But yeah. but the Pocophone, the problem again, is Chinese phone. It's very Baroque, you know? It's all skin all the time. And that's I like the word Baroque for this because it really feels, <laughs> these phones really feel ornamental for the sake of being ornamental. It's like, use a Vivo or Oppo phone and it's just like, it's kind of this weird twilight zone of uncanny valley between an iPhone and a highly skinned Samsung or HTC phone from five years ago, you know? <laughs> and it's kind of horrible because of it. And you just want to put Nova Launcher on it and call it a day. But the, the phones themselves, technically speaking, are really great. And so it's like, if only these Chinese companies would stop with the Baroque stuff and get down to business like OnePlus did, and, and consider the Western US and even Indian market, where I think in India, I would argue that Pure Android is actually quite popular. Yeah, it is. You know? But how long it took, you know, just look back and see how long it took Samsung to understand that. You know, I well, remember, yeah. you know, the very beginning in Europe, Italy was one of the first market where uh, Samsung was successful because back then there it was an open market. There was no subsidies and Italy's always been quite open to uh, new vendors and um, they came with, they were coming not just with their weird ringtones, um, but the games, everything was very, very Korean. Um, and it took them a while to move away from there. Oh, yeah. I remember that Korean vibe that LG and Samsung had five years ago, even before that. Before, yeah. It was so interesting <laughs> and weird. It was kind of like Chinese phone field today. But... But different. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yes. Um, so speaking of, uh, so 60 phone of the year, OnePlus 60, uh, at least nominated by Android Police, I'm sure we're going to see more phone of the year for the 60. Um, but the Engadget wrote a story, uh, our good friend Sherilyn, uh, about the uh, Pixel 3, Pixel 3 XL being their best pick for phone camera of the year. Mm. And I would I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I would say it's a toss between that and a Mate 20 Pro for camera. But uh, what's your take? I mean, have you used all of these devices? Um, do you feel there's a trend here? Most of them. Um, I need to be very careful about what I say because I don't want to give <laughs> away my... I'm one of the GSMA judges for oh, Mobile okay. World Congress um, device of the year, so I don't want to give all my cards away. <laughs> of course. Well, do what you think is right and we but can skip forward I, too I if do. you want. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> fine. Um, I do think that there is a, there's a trend and, and for sure because of all the reason that we just discussed, I think OnePlus uh, definitely deserves a, a place in the shortlist. So I'm going to talk about my shortlist. Uh, I do think that the the 20, the Mate 20 Pro is a great device. Um, if they pull back a little bit around their, their own UI, it would be even a better device. Yeah, yeah. But there's no question that the camera is great. I did... Um, I did like the Note 9, um, not as revolutionary from a from a, a phone perspective. You know, Samsung is more on a path. It's uh, foundational, right? It's correct. like a solid foundation. Like correct. you can buy that phone and be future-proof for two years and not even have to blink an eye, right? Yeah. And then I, I do think that the, the Pixel is interesting when it comes to the camera just because a lot of what they do is software based, and I and know. I think it's the there's future. correct, mm -hmm. uh, and I think you know there's a, a little bit of silliness to how many freaking you know lenses you can have on the back of your phone, <laughs> versus how smart can your software be? 
to get you the shot that you want. And then you get into the whole debate. Uh, I talk often about how nobody cares about being a good photographer. Everybody cares about having a great shot. You know, yep. when you're talking about mass market photography. And and I think that's where we're getting. And, and that, you know, having a, a Google that actually kind of mocks the industry by saying, you know, we only need one lens. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of refreshing. They kind of contradict themselves, though, because the front camera is two lenses Correct. Right, this year. But, but, but look, this AR, is, right? Google is such a company of paradoxes. <laughs> I think they own the AI and in computational photography space by a long shot. I don't think even Huawei comes close. Yeah, I agree. Huawei is doing it by a combination of, of you know, the best hardware, hardware they, can, yeah. they can do and the best software they can do. And together they're doing really good stuff. But, you know, I want to also say that, you know, I agree with you that, you know, you can do great with one lens, but I think that's going to change soon. I think what we're going to see is you, you probably saw that LG patent a little while ago yes. that I covered on the podcast two or three episodes ago over the 16 lens phone. And it's not the first time we've seen that. We've seen uh, arrays of nine lenses on the back and they're very simple camera modules. So they have, you know, relatively affordable sensors or with affordable lenses, no autofocus, no OIS. And you throw enough compute power behind capturing uh, 16 images or nine images, and you mix it all up into the great computational photography soup, and you get incredible results. You get the results that are even better than Pixel 3 XL potentially, that are let you refocus after the fact, change the angle after the fact, zoom after the fact. Yeah. Without loss, uh, and I think that's actually really the future because I think the the proliferation of lenses is going to happen. Uh, I think the ultimate camera system will have basically the entire back of the phone covered in pixels that are lenses that are each of them a sensor, and you reconstruct in software from there. And the same pixels are used as display and are used as vibrational, you know, piezo things for for sound and for haptic feedback and also used as antennas you know what i'm saying for yeah the 5g array that's the future that's where we're going we're i going just want to get there in a sensible way correct and what i mean by that is i'm tired of seeing you know added features for the sake of saying that you know mine is bigger than yours that's not <laughs> gonna get us anywhere right that's so and, true and i and i think that when you're starting to see you know even just with the three lenses you know the vendors that think about it and think about you know, what happens to your picture, how the, the the pictures that you're taking is stored, what does it, you know, there's a lot there. And at the same time, I think, you know, as we saw last week, there's a lot that is now enabled by the chips, right? And so it'd be interesting to see when some of the capabilities are in the core chipset that you're using when it comes to Qualcomm, how do you differentiate on top of that? Where are you going to go? And are just the companies that know how to do software that well that are going to be able to, you know, set themselves apart from everybody else that is enabled from that core chipset architecture? So I think that is going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. So yeah, I would say for me, going back to, you know, Your circling list. back, I think the Pixel 3, Pixel 3 XL, would definitely be uh, my one of my choices. Uh, is I'm gonna have to make a tough decision here, and and because of Mate, for me the Mate 20 Pro, I would say they're they're co. I would give them number. I would let them share the number one spot. The the Pixel Three Pixel Three XL makes the best portraits, has the best mash the button camera of any camera I've ever used by far. 
Um, it's a small improvement of the 2.2XL, yeah. but it's significant enough to keep it in the lead. The Mate 20 Pro is, to me, the best camera as well because it is the camera I can be the most creative with. Mm. And Interesting. The portraits aren't quite as good, for example, but it's so flexible with these three lenses, the fact that it has wide, tele, and normal. Uh, the V40 has that as well from LG, but the V40 doesn't quite perform in terms of software and AI as much in the back end. And so I feel like those two are my top kind of one combined, and they're shared for a different reason. I, I think that, uh, you know, and it goes from there. I mean, the galaxies are still really high up there. The uh, OnePlus 6 is not, the 6T is not, it's, it's good. It's a decent, it's it's a perfectly fine camera, but it's still not quite at the level of these others. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it's 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 fine. It's I'm not- curious. It, it, to, it doesn't to, handicap it too much, I think. What kind of person are you in terms of, do you enjoy a picture, like this night picture debate that is going on, right? Everybody's posting things and it's like, oh, look, this is the iPhone that shows. Yeah, yeah. And this is, because one thing that I noticed when I was going around London taking pictures at nighttime with the, the Mate Pro uh, was that, it was a great picture, but it wasn't what I was seeing in real life. Right. So what kind yeah. of person are you? Do you want a great picture or do you want a realistic picture? Yeah, I think that's, that's I want both. Like, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but I feel like sometimes you're right that the night mode on, I think the night mode on the, on the pixel is more realistic. Yeah. On, but on the Honor, uh, sorry, not the Honor, the Mate 20 Pro, it might be able to capture more light. In some ways, it depends. It's I found beautiful, that, and there are some I, I found that, that both are cameras, amazing, but... both cameras, night mode on. Uh, I think even the the OnePlus 6T, what really helps it is that it has a night mode, and and in that night mode, it matches the regular mode on most other phones, which is great. So at least that saves it. But I, what I'm saying is these night modes, uh, at least on those two phones, the three, the Pixel Three and the Mate 20 series, the Mate 20 Pro, at least, is that they feel. Like, sometimes I prefer one, and sometimes I prefer the other. Yeah, it's not sometimes, always consistent, it's true. No. Yeah. Sometimes I feel the Pixel 3 is over-processed, and I'm like, oh my God. And sometimes I feel the Pixel 3 is gathering more light than the Mate 20 Pro. Sometimes it's the other way around. And so I can't make up my mind. I think overall, <laughs> you're going to be well-served by both. I feel like these are still kind of works in progress. But here's the beautiful thing about it. If you're going to have that phone for a year or two, that software is going to keep improving. That's right. And you're going to get updates. And I'm really surprised how many updates my Mate 20 Pro has received. So I feel like Huawei is actually on board with updates now. And of course, Google, of course, we know is on board with updates. So yeah. I think, I think that, makes me, that gets me very excited no matter what. I feel that, you know, the Pixel 3, Pixel 3 XL, is the only reason I use that phone is like I used, I've been a Nexus and Pixel user as my primary device since day one, since the, the, the HTC G1. Oh wow! Right, uh, T-Mobile G1. So, from and then it, and then you know that's essentially the proto Nexus, right? Yeah. And, and so ever since then, I went. I've, I've been Pixel or a Nexus, and and I feel at the three three XL is the first time where I feel like I'm not sure if I want to keep that as my main daily driver. And it's only reason I do am I'm still keeping it is because photography is such a big part of my of your, experience, yeah. and it nails that. But I feel like there's so many things I don't like about it. I feel that the skin actually of the Pixel 
has deviated too far from Android One. I feel that it's too customized. I don't like that they imposed the gesture pill on us this year. Uh, I don't like it at all. I like the regular Android buttons, or at least I like gestures when they're done right, like mm. OnePlus is done. Um, and so I also feel four gigs of RAM is not enough for the kind of money. I mean, I didn't spend money on it, but for the kind of money people spend on yeah. that phone. And I feel that, you know, the build quality is not special enough. And and I think that Google's kind of in, in missing the point that, you know, Apple always said that the the iPhone is a vehicle, you know, into the app ecosystem and it the the wind the window into it right that it's that's the display is what really is the the soul of the phone right and the hardware should just be behind it and do its thing but they still make gorgeous hardware they still make super pristine high-end hardware and the pixel 3 3 xl doesn't feel like that for the same almost the same money and it vexes me that that google is kind of like very complacent here. And that notch on the Pixel 3 XL is ridiculous. <laughs> How did that pass any kind of product testing? I cannot understand. And so to me, that's where I'm struggling now. I feel like maybe next year I'll switch to OnePlus as a main device. Maybe it'll be the Mate 20 Pro. Uh, I think the only thing holding me back from the Mate 20 Pro is the software, honestly. Because yeah. I think from a point of view of the hardware spec sheet, that phone is a beast. I mean, it's insane what that phone can do. And and so I'm just ah, I'm very conflicted right now about about, about Go- what Google is doing. Frankly, I I feel like I'd be better served with an Android One device, like a Nokia, or you know what I'm saying. Well, that's another company that you know we're not going to see here that is doing great stuff. At, Phenomenal at a, at stuff. A, you know, really good uh, price point. But you know, to your point about Google, is is interesting that the made you know made by Google uh, devices, even the Pixel Book, have. I think the best way I came to describe it is like an IKEA feeling to it. So you know, <laughs> you, you they're minimalistic. They are they're good, but a little bit austere. I don't know even if that's the word. You know, they seem like yeah. they, you know they don't want to splurge. They don't want to make it too. And that's fine when they were making Nexuses at three four hundred dollars, but now it's a different world out there, right? You know, and if you're going to sell your performance at $900, $800, $700, you know, even OnePlus, I think, is a perfect example. They're not flashy by any means. They're very, I think, you know, they're, I wouldn't say the most stare, but they're more interesting than a Pixel 3. Yeah. Yet at the same time, they're not, they don't feel, I don't know, they don't feel held back. Yeah. And of course, you don't, the specs are on top, right? Like, you don't get four gigs of RAM on a OnePlus 6T. I mean, you know. So I th- I think that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. I- I'm definitely conflicted, but I would say my top phones for this year and, and you know uh, preliminary because I'm gonna yes. have probably an episode about that is I would say that the Mate 20 Pro is top phone, and then uh, close behind is uh, OnePlus 6T, and uh, probably the Pixel 3, 3 XL, and then the the Note 9, and yeah. I can't think of more after that. I I I do like the LG V40 for some things. I you know, the P20 Pro was great this year, but the Mate 20 Pro has basically, re, you know, replaced it in my yeah. in my universe. And then the OnePlus 60, uh, the, sorry, the OnePlus 6, I think is still a really solid phone because you're getting pretty much all of the 6T features, minor the fingerprint reader, 
and you get the headphone jack and the notification light that is gone now from the 6T for $100 less. If you, you Like right now, they're still selling it and you get a really great discount. But if you look on paper, they're the same, right? Almost. Right. So that's a really good option if you're not on Verizon and you want uh, a, a OnePlus that's a little cheaper and you really value the headphone jack and the notification light above the in-display fingerprint reader and the larger battery. So, you know, I don't know. These are, I would say, my... I, I can't throw an iPhone in there this year because I have an iPhone 10, but I don't have a 10s or 10s Max or 10R, and I haven't really had a chance to, to try them. And the feeling I get from everyone is that, you know, they're great phones, but that's it, right? There's no, there's no excitement around them. Well, I, I, the, the Max is my main device, and that's more out of, I still, as a, I, you know, it's hard as an analyst, right? Because I try everything, but then of there's course. the human side of me that yeah. gravitates one way or another. And I'm always been more iOS, and God forbid, I'm going to say this, Windows phone than okay. Android. <laughs> I Just think Windows because phone was really great in its day. I, I'm more of the like organized chaos when it comes to my life and my phone, then uh-huh. not total chaos. And I think sometimes, especially because of the skin that different vendors put on Android, I don't know, I just don't enjoy the, the actual uh, OS as much. I enjoy I some of the services, uh, and obviously, you know, a lot of the stuff that Google is doing from Maps to, um, you know, G Suite and music and everything else on top of it. But from a, from a UI perspective, I iOS and Windows Phone were more natural to me. And so that's that's what it is. Um, and you're not the only one. I think there's a lot of people in that boat. I, I highly recommend iPhones to most of the people I know that are not tech-savvy early adopters and are potentially already coming from uh, a lot of Apple products because they're going to be happier. And I think is the, that's the other part, is what else you know in the ecosystem of your devices you're using. And the I'm not... You know, although I do tech, I don't really, I don't mess around with my phones a lot. I, I, you know, I don't take pleasure as some people do in, in spending a lot of time setting up their phones and tinkering and all of that, which is what Android lets you do best. And, you know, the first thing that when I moved from a PC to a Mac, I was like, hold on, why everything (laughs) has to be great? Why can I not change the way my Mac looks, right? (laughs) And uh, and you get used to it. You get used to, you know, kind of Apple making decisions for you and you either like it or you hate it. Um, Yeah, yeah. And that's how it is. So it, it really becomes more kind of an ecosystem question. But what I think is really exciting that you're pointing at is that the Android ecosystem has never been this strong. You know, we've we've had quite a few years where it was either Samsung or Samsung. Yep. yep. And and so there's there's tons of innovation happening and it's all coming from China. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great segue, actually. Let's talk about those displays and form factors. So we all know that the old the holy grail is you you've you have you pick up a phone that's relatively Decent, like small size ish in your hand, but has all display in the front. Yeah. So you get the maximum real estate for the size of the phone. That's where we're going, right? 99% screen to body ratio, no bezels, no cameras, no sensors, no notches, no speakers, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. And we're getting there very rapidly. And everybody's doing really weird stuff to get there, which I think is making me super excited because I'm a nerd and <laughs> I like seeing weird stuff even though it might not be super practical, you know? 
Um, what's your take on that? Like we've seen, so we, you know, like a quick history. Essential was the first with a notch yeah. and the iPhone really popularized the notch. Everybody copied the iPhone notch. Then they, they came in different sizes and thicknesses yeah. and, you know, the worst being the Pixel 3 and then the best being, you know, these teardrop notches we're seeing like the OnePlus 6T. Right. And now, now we're t hearing about I mean, it's not just a rumor anymore. We have two phones that were announced this week that have a punch hole, like a, yeah. a cut in the middle. Well, not middle, but um, in a corner of the screen the, yeah. that's surrounded by screen where the front-facing camera sits. There's the uh, uh, Honor View 20, uh, which was announced this week, uh, which replaces last year's View 10. It's a pretty high-end Honor phone, not quite as high-end as the Magic 2 that they recently announced, but very high-end. It has a 48-megapixel rear camera, which is another thing we're starting to see happening, where they're you know, combining the dual-camera ISP for a single camera and uh, doing some hopefully crazy stuff with that. Uh, but a Galaxy A8S from Samsung has also got a punch hole dis display. So, Infinity you know, O weird, display. right? Yeah. yeah, Infinity O, as they call it. So <laughs> what, what's your take? I, mean, I think, you, do you think this is just a logical progression of this, of this, ten, of this you know, trend? I, I, I do. I think that, like we were saying earlier, there's never enough screen. And, you know, the way that you can deliver that, uh, that is not um, it doesn't impair how much you can enjoy this screen, which is sometimes what happens with a notch that you're better off actually ending up with a with a forehead instead of just the notch because you might as well just ignore all the upper part of your screen wasn't ideal. And so trying to figure out how you're going to do that now, I think some are getting a little bit too inventive but like you said before is a path right so you try different things and, and see what happens um because the oppo that had i think it was oppo the one that had the pop-up camera yeah the find x yeah, yeah. kind of i great idea but i'm all, the, the casualty on that device is going to be yeah. huge right yeah i mean it's it's going to be you have to worry about reliability moving parts and no waterproofing right correct the vivo next was the other one the next s had uh, the tiny little pop-up camera, not the whole back popping up like the Oppo Find X. And then the Magic 2 from Honor I just mentioned is kind of like the uh, the Find X has, the, uh, it's a slider in the sense in the back, but instead of being electric, it's manually activated. You, it's kind of like you slide it back like the old days, like the the, old, yeah. <laughs> those Samsung phones with the keypad yep. that slid on underneath, the same thing. So we're seeing all this interesting stuff. We're seeing phones like the Nubia X from ZTE that, as dual screen. And in fact, yesterday, just as I had already sent you the show notes with the different links, Engadget posted a story of a new phone from Vivo called the Next Dual Screen, which is basically the same idea. Uh, and, and there's no front-facing camera. There's only a rear one, but they put a screen in the back that covers almost the entire back of the phone. So you have two screens to choose from. Uh, it's very odd and very interesting, and I, I love that about Android. I was scratching my head, to be honest with you, with that one. Yeah, I but I love, quite... I love it because it's that's what Android does. It's like, let's go do something weird and see if it sticks. Like, you remember the note? If Let's do something weird and see if it sticks. It really did stick because <laughs> everybody yeah, has a note in their pocket now, pretty much, right? In the sense of the form factor. Yeah, the, the form size. factor, yeah. So I, just, I think it's great. I think I'm looking forward to seeing how this develops. Um, well, I find I the interesting is that some of this innovation is coming in the mid-tier, not the high-end. And that's exactly right. I know. And you know, I think the next thing we're going to see is, this is I'm calling it now, we're going to see the punch-through, punch-hole thing, 
but we're going to see it, that's that punch hole is going to be dis, actually covered by display like actual pixels mm-hmm. and it's going to be OLED and there's going to be a, a higher sensitivity sensor with a faster lens uh, behind the, a part of the display and that dis- part of the display is going to go black the pixels are going to turn off when you take a photo in the front camera and the camera will shoot right through the OLED display wow that's the next thing we're going to see so basically it's a punch hole that the hole closes when the camera's not there. Right, right, right. You know? And that's the next logical thing. And then, you know, who knows where we go from there. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's That's what I love about this right now. It's like this... Isn't it funny that we, we, are, we are talking about all this innovation, which is amazing, and we're still bitching about not having an, an audio jack in our phones. Yeah, well, they're, they're, <laughs> that's the thing. They removed it. Like, I mean, they had it. Then they decided... It's, that, that's the most boneheaded thing in the entire phone industry we've had to deal with since the iPhone was announced, in my opinion. You know, think about this. The the, the G1 T-Mobile, the first HTC yeah. uh, Android phone, did not have a headphone jack. Yeah, they were the first ones. It, it was That's using right. the USB-X, um, mini USB-X connector, which was a custom connector to to uh, HTC that was compatible with mini USB. So you could use a regular cable to charge it, but it, it had extra pins for audio and you had to get an adapter. I mean, it we're back to that. It's ridiculous. I don't. Un- I just don't get it. It's like, ah, don't even get me started. <laughs> Sorry, didn't no, mean. That's okay. Didn't mean but, to bring up something painful. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, let's let's switch gears. Uh, there's a few more things I want to talk about. Um, we've talked about the Poco phone. You know, watch my unboxing video. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll put also a link to the show notes to my McLaren OnePlus Six unboxing. Um, I got a chance to play with, uh, to finally use and and test drive the Huawei Watch GT, which is really a weird little interesting uh, product because it's basically, if you take a a Huawei Band 3 Pro, which is basically like a $69 fitness band, Mm -hmm. and you turn it into a smartwatch looking thing (laughs) that's relatively high end, you get the Huawei Watch GT. In terms of software and functionality, it is a dumb watch, a or a dumb smartwatch, if you want to call it that, a, a fitness band kind of device. So it's got great battery life, up to two weeks, because it's got a big battery, because it's got a you know a big big body. Um, it looks a lot like a hybrid between the Huawei Watch 2 and the original Huawei Watch. But again, it's not Android Wear or whatever it's called now, Wear OS. Yeah. It's their own custom OS. It's got notifications, and that's the weak spot. The notifications are not the best implementation it's just very basic but on the plus side great battery life two weeks it has um sleep tracking and continuous heart rate monitoring um for that for you know which is really i think really the, the killer app for this thing because for me i find that i want notifications and that's maybe the weak spot of that watch but i think that what i really want is sleep tracking and yes. continuous heart rate monitoring because i find that really helpful for my in my old age carolina <laughs> don't say that nah, i'm just kidding uh well, how I, do you feel i, I mean have do. you played with it i are I, you are you a watch slash fitness band person i am um before uh all of these you know got uh, to be a talking point i was a pebble user and ah. um yeah i used one since the very beginning um loved it it did what they said on the on the box on the box um, which was unlike all the other smartwatches at the correct, time correct correct <laughs> 
And then I went to uh, an Apple Watch. and Which makes um, sense if you're an iPhone user, yeah. And I, and I went through all the different... I do uh, use... I use the... the uh, the Galaxy uh, Gear Fit for for a while. I like the design. I think the latest generation is a little bit too wide for me, um, and so it was not as comfortable. I really wanted to love their watch, but it's heavy. Um, you know, after after wearing it for a while, um, and it's the same with Huawei. It was interesting. Do you remember the first band that they did that doubled into um, a headset? A Bluetooth headset. Yes, absolutely. I thought that, that was genius because it was a, the <laughs> it, it was at the very beginning of the market where at that price point, trying to convince consumers that they needed a band was still hard. And and what they did was, well, you're going to use a headset, so you might as well have a headset that doubles into a fitness band. And I thought that yeah. was genius. What it a was a strange different combo, right? <laughs> you know, but but that's the point, right? It's trying to understand where consumers see a return, right, in the money that they're spending. At that point in time, you know, fitness wasn't a thing for the mass market. It was before Fitbit, you know, became the, the leader in in that price point. So, yeah, it, it's quite interesting also to see how, you know, you, we were talking just now about the innovation on the phone side and, I just don't understand why the wearable uh, has not made it on the Android side, right? That is just what you see out there is basically Apple Watch and Fitbit, and that's that. Yeah, I think, look, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, Apple coming into the into the, the fray. I think if Pebble had been run differently and I could go, I could write a book about this since I was there. Right. Um, we tried really hard and the exec team to convince the founder but uh, I think it could it, it had a chance to become to own the mid-range of the market. Mm. Like not the fitness band, which I think Xiaomi has shown that you can make a really great $20 fitness band. Um and nobody can beat that, right? $20. Yeah. You could throw yeah. you could throw them away every week by a yeah. new one. It'd be like the price of two lattes in, in San Francisco. Boxes. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> um and uh and then, you know, I think we could have owned the hundred to two hundred dollar price range, maybe two up to two fifty, because the Apple Watch is still very expensive, even though it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um and and I think you know when I, but when I look at how far we were behind in terms of product because we didn't have the numbers that allowed us to manufacture our own displays, yeah. right? We you, you have to have a certain in, like initial cash investment. And 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 the minimum you're gonna get in display manufacturing is a hundred thousand displays, right? They're not gonna make a custom display for you unless you order less than a hundred, mm. more than a hundred thousand. So we never really had that kind of throughput in terms of sales to really be able to justify having a custom display. And I thought it was really holding us back in terms of design, and in terms of thinness and and quality of display, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I think there were plans to change that, but it just never happened. It well, it didn't look like it was going to happen, which is part of the reason I left. But I feel like we had an, an opportunity there. And um, the, but because Pebble disappeared, Fitbit tried to take it on, but they're That's ultimately right. a fitness band yes. company. They don't understand smartwatches. I, don't, I still, I still don't think they do. I think they're getting there a little bit because they acquired some of the Pebble software people. Mm-hmm. But I just think they're they're misguided. I don't think they're doing it right. Um, I, and I think. To me, that's what this why Watch GT is so interesting because it feels to me like it's in many ways what the Pebble could have become, 
right? Mm. Um, except it doesn't have apps, which Pebble had a right. you know, was a huge part of Pebble. But I honestly always felt that apps at Pebble was kind of like the initial flash in the pan that got the early adopters interested, yes. but nobody really cared and used apps on a watch. So that was going to go away eventually. And I think that what we look at the Watch GT today, two-week battery life, beautiful OLED display, great continuous heart rate monitoring and sleep tracking, and decent notifications, which could easily be make, made even much, much better in software, is really all you need in a watch. And I don't know exactly what the price point is on that watch anymore. I have to look it up. But it's reasonably priced. It's not more expensive than a... It's definitely less expensive than, a, than an Apple watch. Yeah. So sure. I think this is kind of what, you know, what, what the Pebble... It kind of is kind of like reminds me of pebble a lot mm. but yeah i don't think there is i think that's losing pebble was a big part of that and i think the fact that google had no direction with android wear correct and, and they really treated like a like a some sort of side project like many things they've done apple android tv anyone uh android auto anyone i, mean, I, I also on. think that it, it took longer than they thought it would take to get volume and sort in their head where the place you know for wearables was going to be and then the home took off and so i think that you know wearables dropped in importance and and the home came up um yeah, and so exactly. looking at google home speakers, and yeah, correct exactly. and so i think that's you know from a priority perspective what happened as well um and, and they nailed home oh yeah they nailed it so hard. I mean, honestly, Echo makes me laugh. I mean, Google Home is such a better system in every way for me. The only thing is it lacks a lot of integration still, and I think yes. they're working on that. But yeah. One last thing I want to bring up before we wrap up is MediaTek launched a new chip called the P90. I know you saw a little bit of that, um, and I got briefed in Taiwan when I was there uh, in in uh, early November. Uh, and it's really interesting because they're pushing hard on imaging and AI mm -hmm. uh, and still keeping it in the mid-range price tier and performance-wise, it's, it's a really interesting chip. So what's your take on what you've seen so far on that? Well, I'm not, you know, a semiconductor is something that I try and, and know enough to get by. Yeah, but I'm the I same let, way. Yeah. But I let Ben just geek out on it because he <laughs> loves it. So, of course. Um, but I, for me, what is interesting is that, you know, MediaTek came out many years ago and, and people were like, media who? And, then, <laughs> right. you know, and here they are still in a world where if you look at everything else, right, it's very hard to come out as, um, you know, it's a kind of a new kid on the block and cut out a market for you and enable an ecosystem that wouldn't exist without you, right? Because Qualcomm responded to them, but didn't get there first. So, right. I mean, for me, MediaTek is, you know, you need to give it credit for enabling a lot of the innovation that we're talking about now, um, because that, you know, got Qualcomm to pay more attention Respond. to yeah. exactly to what was happening. And, you know, in a bit like the iPhone created Android to some extent, right? And and the ecosystem and all of that is like, okay, you know, Google obviously is a, was a project that was already there, but that's what what is, in my opinion, beautiful about, uh, about MediaTek and the fact that they are able now to deliver that um, imaging and AI uh, focus at a, a mid 
uh, tier price point um, will mean that that innovation will continue to foster, which is great for the industry and ultimately for consumers. Yes, and they announced while I was in 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 Taiwan, they announced their five G modem, which will pair, which is compatible. The P ninety is compatible with. So it's not millimeter wave; they only support sub six. But mm. look, it's it's interesting. It's a start, and I think there are a lot of phones that could benefit from the the MediaTek that are currently on Qualcomm chips um, because of price. Uh, the Palm is a good example. I think that tiny little phone uh, with a few changes could become. A really cool phone for some people as a main phone if it had better battery life. And a lot of that right now has to do with, uh, well, actually the battery life is is really an issue because it's designed to be a secondary device. But right. if they made the battery slightly bigger, um, they would be able to make it work as a, as a single phone for some people. What I think the MediaTek would allow is the price point to drop because 350 is too high. It's too high. And I agree. 200 for that phone with a MediaTek chip and a slightly bigger battery. And that phone would actually be an interesting phone for some people. And uh, I think, you know, so I think like, you know, Qualcomm makes great chips, the 200 and 400, uh, the 200, sorry, and 400 series. But I, I, I still always feel like MediaTek manages to undercut them. And maybe uh, Qualcomm could completely quell that in some way. But we're, we're certainly, I haven't really seen it yet. And speaking of Qualcomm, what were your thoughts on last week's uh, announcements? I thought it was interesting to see finally, you know, after we spoke about 5G coming last year to actually see um, that it's real and uh, it is not just a story for the future is here. We saw the network working. We did a, a, a video call over it. But I also, for me, was interesting to still see when the carriers were talking at the event, how much work the actual ecosystem has to still do to not just understand that looking at the past is not going to help you here very much because this is a totally different battle. Absolutely. Um, but how you need to think about the the especially the 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 data plan and and the cost, right? How you need to think about this differently. It's not just about, you know, it's going to be more expensive. Sure, we know that, even if they don't tell us, right? But how, <laughs> of will. how am I going to pay? Make it that in a way that I see the value and I'm be, I'll be happy, or at least not sad, to pay for more because I see the value. And I just don't, I have little confidence that we're nowhere near carriers really thinking out of the box um, and and tackling this in a different way. And then right. that the was on the 5G. Tough right yes, now, right? very much yeah. so. Um, on, on the connected PC, um, I'm excited about um, the fact that I think Qualcomm's showing that they're ready to take more of a role in guiding, again, the carriers, the retail, so that what I think is the next generation of computing, there's no, you know, we're not going to escape this. Our computers will be connected. That's what, you know, where are we going to get to? Oh, yeah, this is inevitable. And ARM will run most laptops. That's also inevitable. Correct. I'm honestly waiting really with, with you know, I'm a, as much as I'm not a big fan of iOS because I, I, like, I like Android better for my workflow um, and mostly pure Android, 
I do. I'm a huge Mac fan, and I've used the Macs for a really long time uh, because it's Unix-based. It's a big part of it. I, right. I do feel that yes, I wish I could customize it more, but I'm kind of done customizing computers. You know, I spent <laughs> 30, 40 years of my life playing with desktop and laptop computers, and I've had my chance to like you do neon green fans and and uh, you know uh, customize my the skin and fonts on my yeah. fo- on my on my on my computer. So. I'm really happy to see, uh, I want to see what Apple does with an ARM-based Mac OS device. Yeah, uh, and I think we're getting closer to it, We're very, very close. And I'm happy to see that Qualcomm is kind of leading the way right now because Windows 10 on ARM is only going to get better. It's going to get, I think, I think Intel is in a world of pain right now. Well, um, I feel a little bit better um, this week about Intel than I did last week. Um, okay. Ju- just because it seems that they finally understand that you know, a, a fully Intel architecture is not the only way. And so right. they need to be more accommodating. And so this idea that now you could have an Intel chip running on, on a, an ARM architecture, it's quite fascinating. Um, and, you know, they, they obviously did not position it this way, but they did Clearly. say that um you know there's more flexibility in in what architecture they're going to build on and so i you know i i think that the pain that been through which was a lot i think got them to think differently about the market and that's not a bad thing you know um sometime out of a, a painful experiment or or period in time in your uh, in your life of the company you get to discover something that would never have happened if your success continued or or if you were not challenged in the same way right so yeah. i'm i'm excited about that um obviously well, you know the proof is in the pudding but yeah i'm glad they're reacting but i mean here's the thing that i never understood and and you know I, intel should you know could have licensed arm a long time ago in fact right. they had arm they owned arm an arm processor brand and got rid of it yeah which at the time I was I was completely stu- stunned. I was like, "Are you serious? This is the future. What are you doing, Intel?" And then you know, betting everything on x86 is so silly to me. It's almost political at this point. It's almost like institutional for them. And and ARM, like they make ARM chips, Intel. You you're one of the best fabs in the world, and and it doesn't stop you from making x86. I think the high end is going to be served by x86 in the laptop world for a long time to come. I think that ARM is going to own the low end, the portable, the always connected PC for sure. Uh, whether it's you know uh, Apple make their own chips or Qualcomm right. or even even others, I wouldn't be surprised. MediaTek's made tablet uh, chips for a long time now, so yeah. they could do the same. So I think I think that's kind of where I'm at for it. You know, I want to I want to see them like just break away from this weird stubbornness they have. You know, and I think we get in there. I Good. I I'm encourage as i said it's uh, just you know it's like nokia it and and blackberry their stubbornness <laughs> cost them their lives oh, you know absolutely. like they just they eventually saw it but it was too late so i don't want that to happen because intel is you know is one of the foundational companies of our computing oh, world. I, I, and yeah you know, absolutely yeah yeah so a uh, quick thing before we wrap mm-hmm. up, uh, I have a Snapdragon 855 uh, reference device, hands-on, Ooh. on my YouTube channel. So I'll put the link to that. Uh, it's their kind of um, device that people can use to test the chip. And it looks like it's so refined. They used to be bulky and ugly. and Yeah, it was quite impressive, wasn't it? And, you know, not very representative of a phone. Yeah. Now they look like they could just be a something you could buy, you know, at your local Best Buy. It's yeah. amazing. Um, 
Carolina, thanks for being on the show. Uh, do you want to tell the the audience where they can find you on the internet? Absolutely. If you publish anywhere, what podcasts you do, what your handles are on social, all that? Yes. So I'm on Twitter under Caro, C-A-R-O underscore Milanese, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. Somebody says Milan easy. Kind of, where? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm also uh, on techpinions.com. Uh, I have a column every Wednesday, and I'm guest on several different podcasts, including the the um, Tech Pinion pod- podcast uh, on Instagram, uh, the same handle as uh, uh, Twitter. And uh, if you want to know about all about my dogs and my daughter, then you can friend me <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you, you've heard it here first. Uh, so you know where to find me, folks. Uh, I'm at Tankerl, T-N-K-G-R-L, both on Twitter and Instagram. That's like Tankerl the comic book. Drop the vowels and you got my handle. Uh, you know where to find me on YouTube. Uh, YouTube is a compliment to the podcast. It's where I put unboxings, hands-ons, this kind of stuff. Uh, YouTube.com slash Miriam Just spell out my full name, Miriam with a Y. Um, and of course, uh, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. If, you, if it's your first time listening, please subscribe. Uh, I'm on every podcast platform you can imagine. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Stitcher, Slacker, <laughs> TuneIn Radio. Not on SoundCloud yet, working on that. Not on YouTube. I, I'm looking at putting my podcast on YouTube. I said I was going to do it, but the logistics of it are a little bit too much right now so it's gonna come stay tuned for that uh and then um you know remember you can just type type mobile tech podcast and maybe add tanker ltnkgrl to that to find me anywhere on the web um and then i want to thank our sponsor audible uh, audible is uh really the place to be for audiobooks if you like listening to books instead of reading them this is really the service to use audible.com so go check it out there's a link in the show notes that will give you a uh, you know, an ability to to subscribe and support the podcast at the same time. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you go there and you subscribe to, uh, you know, to Audible, which you can do and try it for free for 30 days, uh, you will support the podcast. So hopefully you can do that. And if you like books, this is definitely a great thing to do because sometimes you can't read books. You're maybe driving or whatever. And Audible has got you. Thanks, Carolina, for being on the show again. I really appreciate you coming. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. We'll have you on again. This was a lot of fun. Same here. So stay tuned for another show next week and cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.